The Parent Show is sponsored by Neve Solicitors. Neve Solicitors are proud to sponsor The Parent Show. The friendly team at Neves includes specialists who can guide you through all the legal ups and downs of family life. Visit nevesolicitors.co.uk. Neve Solicitors. Hello and a very warm welcome to The Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia L. Curry. Good evening, everybody. I am Seema Barker. And this evening, we are going to be talking about health and specifically about food and food intolerance. And... Lydia, what do you actually know about food intolerance? All I know is it's not an allergy, and it, that's about it. Right. Can you can you tell us what the difference is? Not a hope, but that's why we've got Amber on the show this evening to do, to tell us exactly what that is. I think that's right. I think it's 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 a phrase that we've it's a term that we listen to quite a lot, but we don't a lot of us don't know what it means. So, it's common. It's estimated that twenty percent of people have one or mood or more food intolerances. And so tonight, we're going to talk to Amber Hill, who's a food intolerance tester and has been since 2015. But it's great because she's also a St. Albans mum of two. It's always wonderful when we've got local guests on. Um, Amber came on this path after being diagnosed with cancer at the age of 34. So she's going to be sharing with us uh, her process of testing and also telling us about how we can look after our and our family's health better. Right. And to stay on the topic of food, we're also really happy to be speaking to nutritionist, author and presenter Dale Pinnock, uh, a.k.a. The Medicinal Chef. And like Amber, his journey started with his own health. And that's how he caught the nutrition bug. He's 14 books later on the subject of nutrition and health and has been cooking uh, since the age of four. That's really impressive that, with that his is. mom. I think his mom got him um, hooked on it. But we'll ask him more in the second half of the show where he'll be joining us. But let's start off with Amber, who's in the studio with us now. Hi, Amber. Hello. How are you doing? <laughs> A little nervous, but I'm all good. <laughs> Don't worry. Seema doesn't bite, I can assure you. <laughs> <laughs> so listen, tell us. Tell us a little bit about your own journey and how you got to intolerance testing. Okay, um, you mentioned earlier that I was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 34. That's really where this path started. I, I was obviously very young and after chemotherapy and radiotherapy, I was left with some quite severe medical problems, largely surrounding my digestive health and my immunity. And I had, I had, digestive issues pretty much every day of my life and they were ranging from slightly irritating to excruciatingly painful where sometimes I, I couldn't even stand straight and one day I just had a I can't do this anymore moment so someone suggested to me that I go search for an intolerance test which I did and within five days of having that test it my life was changed and I, th and I thought to myself in that moment, I have to make this available to other people much more easily. So I trained to be a tester myself. And when I say my life changed, my digestive issues stopped within five days of me cutting out all of the foods that the test indicated that I was intolerant to. And generally, that's what happens when you have an intolerance test. So I wanted to make the test as available to people as as possible. So... I've now put my test into a local health store in St Albans, but we can come back to that a little later. But that's the that's I, the gist. I'm curious. What so? What intolerances did it did it flag up with you? Oh, okay. Do, do you want the list? Right. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll start with the list. So eggs, yeah, lentils, coconut, oh. tomatoes, kiwi fruit, grapefruit. So you'd think it would be junk food, but actually it's all incredibly healthy things. I'm also intolerant to rye, tomato. Did I say tomatoes? Yeah. Oranges. Uh, do you know, there is so, I have so Gosh. many intolerances. Avocado. Um, I have so many intolerances that I've almost forgotten what a lot, a lot of them are. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. that's tough. That's a long list, isn't it? It really is. And, and, and so do you have to avoid those foods completely? Yes. Right. Okay. Absolutely. No doubt. I mean, there are, a, There've been a couple of times where I've eaten a very small amount of one of those foods and got away with it. Occasionally, I can eat egg yolk, but if I eat egg white, oh, that's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm that's, in a lot of trouble. But you know, I think you probably come across, I, I was talking to my sister about this subject the other day, and I was saying, oh, I think that she's gluten intolerant. And she went, 
she said, I'm not doing the test because I love bread. I was like, oh my goodness, that is a really bad reason not to do a, a gluten intolerance test, isn't it? I, I agree because what people don't realise is that the pain or the discomfort or the bloating or the constipation or whatever symptom you get as a result of eating that food, that is your body's warning system. And if you keep overriding that warning, your body eventually will find another way of letting you know. And it may not always be so nice. So heed the warning. If That's your body's way of telling you that it doesn't like what you're doing. So That makes complete sense. Yeah. Absolute sense. I know by the end of this show, I'm going to be booked up for an intolerance <laughs> test. You're, you're already selling it to me so well. But so tell us, what kind, what causes food intolerance? Where okay. does it come from? Uh, there are a few different things that cause food intolerance. Um, there's no real one size fits all. I, th I think one of the, the most obvious things is eating a, a junk diet, eating a diet laden with junk food, you know, and, and artificial ingredients, artificial sweeteners, colours, flavours. You know, we don't really need any of those things in our diet. So that would be one of the main, that would be one of the main things. Uh, there are also other things that will cause food intolerance. Uh, trauma. A, a lot of the people that come to see me have already identified that a particularly stressful incident, such as a bereavement, divorce, even a car accident or so just some, you know, something very, very stressful. And that was where the digestive issues actually started. So while the food in that case wasn't the trigger, it's, it, it just becomes an aggravator. Um, pharmaceutical medication is actually another thing. Usually not, I wouldn't say all pharmaceutical meds, uh, but generally things like long-term use of NSAID drugs. So, for, so for example, things like ibuprofen and other anti-inflammatories. Um, long-term use of steroids and antibiotics, especially because antibiotics can break down the gut microbiome. Um, I think, you know, taking these medications on a short-term basis is probably not going to do you any harm, but over long periods of time. And then, of course, there are just one-off reactions to medications that we just don't see coming. You know, we can't possibly sure. know. A GP can't know whether a, an individual is going to react to something or not. And sugar. That's, yeah. that's the other one. Uh, I'm seeing this more and more in young children now because children today eat the same amount of sugar in a day as our grandparents did in a month. So our definition of normal where sugar is concerned has been vastly manipulated over the years. So I think sugar, that's, that's, yeah. that's I, the main it doesn't, one. It doesn't surprise me. And I have to say, like, I, I mean, I have to kind of do a reality check with my children all the time, you know, they think they're entitled to a pudding after lunch and dinner every day. I was like, wh where did you get this idea from? Like pudding, first of all, shouldn't happen every day, right? And and it certainly shouldn't be after both meals. I was saying to them, you know, next thing you'll want it after breakfast. It's 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 <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. Just as breakfast, Lydia. Yeah, maybe. Just, maybe. Nutella just trickle, on yeah. plate. Exactly. Yeah. Can I ask you, Amber, because you made that connection between stress and that that can be related uh, that, that might not cause it, but it, like it's, it triggers the, the aggravated, um, uh, problem with your digestion. Does that mean that perhaps if you get, you know, after a bereavement or after a divorce or after the stress related incident that you might have, the food intolerance could go? That, that's something I'm not aware of. Yes. Um, right. food intolerances in general can go away. Right. Um, I think. It, it's very individual though. Yeah. Again, no size ones, no size, it, it, one all, size yeah. there's no yeah. one size fits all with, with that. But I think where intolerances have been quite short lived. So let's say someone has had an intolerance for maybe six months to a year with the right amount of abstention from that offending food and potentially the right amount of supplementation where necessary. Those food intolerances are likely to reverse because the the damage to the gut lining hasn't been done as right. extensively. However, if you've been living with a food intolerance for 25 years, which lots of people that are in my age group have, then the likelihood of you reversing all of those intolerances that you may have is unfortunately quite slim. Yeah. But every situation can be improved on. And I have heard of people that have had some really quite 
damaging food sensitivities. Uh, they've developed leaky gut syndrome and, and all kinds of other conditions and they've been reversed and they are now eating the foods that they were once intolerant to. So it can be done, but it does take a lot of perseverance. And often where stress is the main trigger, they're the ones that are most likely to be reversed because stress can be eliminated. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I was wondering. If you, if, if somebody's able to get up to a better place where they're not so stressed, does that then you know, have have an effect on their whole health, I suppose. Absolutely. Stress, we, we hear it said quite a lot. It's a throwaway phrase, stress is a killer, but it definitely can make us unwell. And stress will definitely exasperate any condition that you may have already going on in your body. People get tension and stress headaches, uh, you know, so the the emotional side of things can definitely manifest in a physical way. Right. And um, now I'm going to ask you the killer question. What is the difference between an allergy <laughs> and a food intolerance? This is what everybody's listening to the radio now saying, yeah, but just tell us. Right. OK. Uh, food intolerance and food allergy have two different reactions within the blood. So and having said that, though, symptoms can actually overlap, which can make it quite difficult to determine which one you have. You may have both to try and clear it up a little Allergy reactions are normally quick. So you you eat a small piece of the food and you can have a reaction fairly quickly, we, often within seconds. You, right. you may get hives or difficulty breathing, swelling of the tongue or the lips, it, even anaphylaxis. If anyone is getting a reaction like that, they need to be seen by a hospital or, or a GP or an allergy clinic fairly quickly. Having said that, allergies can also cause things like diarrhea, vomiting. Again, these things are usually fairly quick reactions. Intolerances, sometimes referred to as sensitivities, take a little longer before a reaction would take place. People can get severe vomiting, but usually it would happen maybe after six to nine hours. Um, same with diarrhea, but actually diarrhea can be very quick as well. You know, often there are people with things like acid reflux, and diarrhea where a reaction would be immediate but that still wouldn't be considered an, an allergy M the most common food intolerance reactions would be something like gas bloating stomach aches just gripiness feelings of unwellness even tiredness a, a lot of people don't normally associate tiredness with food sensitivity oh, but right. actually that can be the case um but the, the main reason that it would be that would determine an allergy from an intolerance would actually be in the blood. One has an IgE reaction, the other has an IgG. Uh, the NHS would deal with the allergic side of it, whereas food intolerances are generally dealt with by the holistic health industry now. Right. Okay. So, so that's so that's really interesting, and and leads us on to this test which you have introduced into a St Albans store. So, can you tell us how the test this test works? Okay. Uh, the test is performed using a method called electrodermal screening and it's used with a machine that's called a bioenergetics resonance machine most people have never heard of either of those no I, i'm <laughs> one of those <laughs> uh it's it's actually german technology that ha that's been around for about 20 25 years but it's very slowly filtering its way into the uk holistic health market the the method of testing is is actually completely painless it's very quick it's suitable for everyone unless they are pregnant or have a pacemaker a pacemaker quite simply because there is a very very small electrical current that runs through it's undetected by the nervous system so you won't feel that electrical current it really is minute because the the machine itself is hyper hypersensitive but um so, and also just going back to pregnancy, it's actually completely safe during pregnancy, but my insurance won't cover it. Right. <laughs> so, okay, that's fair so that's enough. It. Um, so, so this very small current, and how will that reveal result results? How does uh, okay. That work? So, what what happens is the the person being tested would have to sit very comfortably and hold a metal conductor in their dominant hand, which would be the hand that they write with, and then you're you're linked up by that into a circuit which is where the electrical current comes in sure and once that circuit has been completed 
then one by one food ampules are introduced into the circuit and then the machine will measure the level of resistance that your body gives oh i see okay so and so if your body's is it is it if your body's resisting a lot that means there's an intolerance that that that's correct if your if there is no resistance whatsoever to the food then that food is deemed safe right so if there is uh, a, re a resistance shown by the machine then that would be a, an intolerance of some varying degree and usually based on the readings that the machine gives I can ascertain whether that is quite a severe intolerance or maybe just a, a mild sensitivity so there are variations of that because some people give very clear reactions whereas some people aren't so clear um, but generally I can fit people into into boxes if you like to, to determine how strong their intolerances are. Any age limit on it, Amber? Not really. I, I don't test, I choose not to test children under two years old. And the only reason for that is because it is quite difficult for them to sit still and to be happy to sit through a test yeah. of, of that kind. So, because the, the test can take up to an hour. So, most two-year-olds can't really sit still for for two minutes, let alone um, let alone an hour. But it's suitable for any any age older than that. There yeah. are some testers out there that will test children from six months upwards. However, my success rate with that six months to two years old age group is it, just quite difficult for them, and yeah, it's probably best to wait. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, now, what about the accuracy of the test, Amber? Can you give us some information? You've obviously been doing it for a little while. Sure. Uh, the accuracy has the, the accuracy of the test is seventy five to eighty percent accurate. That's actually very good for intolerance testing. There is currently no one hundred percent accurate test anywhere globally for food sensitivity, and actually many other tests. You know, even tests that we get through the NHS aren't all one hundred percent. You know, they all have their their pros and cons, if you like. But there are there are quite a few different tests out there at the moment, and they. You know, some are done through blood testing, hair sampling, some, some are done through a method called kinesiology, but they all actually have a very similar accuracy rating. Right. And okay. there are many reasons why a test is 70, this particular test, if you like, is 75 to 80% accurate. And even a person's hydration level can actually affect the accuracy rating of the test. So I always tell people to drink plenty of water or non-caffeinated fluid before a test. But, one of the main reasons for the drop away from 100% is, for example, I test for Apple, but there's actually about 80 varieties of Apple globally. So I'm not going to sit there and test somebody for 80 different types sure. of Apple, 15 different oranges and so on. So the laboratory that actually make the food ampules, what they do, they extract all common enzymes that are present in all varieties of the same food. And then I test for the common enzymes, accepting that there might be a margin for error. So I can't ever rule out that the test might miss something but the feedback from the test speaks for itself it is really quite good that's what i wanted to ask you next what what kind of feedback are you getting from from clients a amazing feedback i i actually get feedback that sometimes brings a tear to my eye and I, I feel very grateful and blessed that i've been given this opportunity to to help people in this way but some of the feedback that i get i mean, I, mean, I don't know how much I can share on the show, but that, you know, I do see some people that have really got some quite embarrassing, um, symptoms and so on. But generally the feedback that I get would be where people have struggled to lose weight and have had gas and bloating, digestive problems, nausea, they constipation where they can't go to the toilet for, you know, seven or eight days at a time. And, you know, these are all really quite debilitating situations especially Absolutely. if you've got to go to work and function and the most common feedback that i get was that they feel so much better once they've eliminated the foods that they're intolerant to much like myself i felt i had more energy i i felt more alive i was pain free no need to rely on medication or at least less need to rely on medication for some people um I don't know. Can, can I read you oh, something? Please would, do. Would that that, right? Yeah, we'd love to hear what, the, what your clients say. Okay. I, I received this um, a couple of days ago and it actually brought a tear to my eye. And I do feel like I should probably give you a little bit of background to this. Otherwise, it's not going to make any sense. One, one of the, the ladies that I saw, I, I test in multiple health stores. So this was one over in Hartford. And there was a, a lady that came in and she had 
OCD. It wasn't particularly severe, but she did have it. And she had a lot of digestive problems, constipation, alternating constipation and diarrhea, bloating, you know, feeling quite sick, very run down, tired all the time. And a strange symptom that she had was she had an itchy bottom. But this had been going on for two years and she had never been able to get rid of it, no matter what cream or whatever she was told to use, it never worked. Anyway, so... I, I can't really share her name or anything like Obviously, that, unfortunately, yeah, because yeah. of um, you know, data protection and, and client confidentiality. However, I, what I can give you is that her name was Sue. That's all I can say. And the, the message that she, she sent me was, hi, Amber, I hope you're well. Well, five days with no sugar. That was one of the things she was intolerant to, sugar. I have no itchy and sore bottom and my head is clearing. Only eating from the farm, so all good. Thank you very much for all you do. You've made me smile again. And she sent me another message saying it's now been almost two weeks and I haven't used any creams. It was definitely the sugar. Um, and she also sent me uh, another. It was actually quite a long message, but she said here, I'll, I'll abbreviate it. She's put, my husband says how well I'm doing in two weeks. I felt awful the day that I saw you. My OCD is better. My head is not in fog. You gave me the tools that I needed for a healthier life. And that's better than any doctor I've ever seen. Wishing you well always. That's lovely. You know, so lovely. And oh, you know what I'm I thinking? I frequently. When, <laughs> it's I, I, amazing. And when I hear you talking about it, I mean, the test is not expensive, but you're getting pulled into people's lives, really, aren't you? I mean, you're, you're doing, clearly doing follow ups and making sure that they're, that you know, that they're doing, which is, it's a big job, really, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you mentioned about follow ups. I always say to my clients that if I do my job properly, then they don't need to see me again. Yeah. yeah. And so far in all my, in my years of testing, I've only ever seen one person twice. And I feel quite happy that's, about that that sounds like a pretty good success you know, rate actually yeah i mean actually from a business perspective that's no good because <laughs> i don't get any repeat business but i'm not that's not really why i'm doing yeah. it I, I just want to be able to help people and the the feedback that i get is is great and yes you're right the test actually is relatively inexpensive you know they're they're just if i can touch Please on do, that yeah my test is 65 pounds and there are many tests out there that will reach up to maybe seven, eight hundred pounds. And while the test method is different because some have to, you know, have bloods that are sent off to labs and so on, the accuracy rating is still very, very similar. So as cost effectiveness goes, this is a really cost effective test. Yeah. So, so 65 pounds. Can you tell our listeners, how do they get in touch with you? How do they find out about the test? Okay. So your local store, uh, the, the local health store that I test out of, if you've if you've heard of it, is a place called Be Healthy, which is found at the Quadrant in Marshallswick. And there's free parking for three hours outside, so there which is go. great for St Albans, so go check it out. But I, I test through there. So you can either contact Be Healthy directly on St Albans 8311122. So you can either call them directly and book in for, to see me there. Or you can email me directly on foodintolerancetest at outlook.com. Brilliant. And I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm giving a phone number out on air. Wow. <laughs> it's uh, 07815-834704. And you can either have a chat with me about booking an appointment or, you know, just give me a call and find out a little bit more about it and see if the test is for you. Fantastic. Can and we'll share, of course, on our Facebook page, on the Parent Show Facebook Great. page. And you're very kindly going to make an offer for our listeners. I am. Yes. So anyone that contacts me uh, directly, so that wouldn't be through the store, but if anyone contacts me directly on the details that will be on the page, I'm going to offer a 15% discount, which will take £10 off of the cost of a test. So that will bring the test down to £55 for you. I'm going to make that offer available until the end of June. So that gives people a couple of months to get their head around the idea and, and book in. So if you just, when you call me, if you mention Radio Verulam and all the parents show, then I'll be happy to honour that discount for you. That's fantastic. And Amber, we warned you, time has flown. And, <laughs> wow, and we, is that I, it already? I was nervous for nothing. <laughs> you know, we, we, uh, 
we have so many more questions, but we'll just have to get you back on. Okay, that'd and be great. actually, it'd be great to do a before and after, maybe with um, one parent who uh, who takes the offer up. Sure, and okay. uh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Get you get you all back on to talk about it. What about you, Lydia? I'm up for it. I'm totally <laughs> up for it. Uh, definitely. Right. Uh, seriously, okay, uh, that's a, it's a deal. It's okay. a deal. Brilliant. Great to talk to you, Amber, and thanks for sharing this with our listeners. You know, whether it's for them personally or for their children, it's such such valuable information. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been Thanks great. very much. A very warm welcome back to the Parents Show on Radio Verulam 92.6 FM. I'm Lydia Alcuri. Good evening, everyone. I am Seema Barker, and we've been talking uh, to Amber this evening about food intolerances, and now we're very happy to welcome our second guest, uh, Dale Pinnock. Dale, are you there? Yeah, how you doing? Good evening to you. Uh, hey, how are you? All right? Yeah, great to talk to you, Dale. We're really, really pleased you could make it on the parents' show. Yeah, not a problem, not a problem. We just saw your message pop up just as I was online the other day, so I was like, well, that was perfect timing. Absolutely, and we've, uh, you know, it's given us a chance to delve into your website and take a look at what you're doing. And for all our listeners, you're known as the medicinal chef. Now, I have to say, I didn't know what a medicinal chef was. <laughs> Until I saw your website, tell us tell us what what exactly that means. Well, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of a uh, a provocative title, really. I just wanted people to think a little bit differently about the food that they eat. Food is more than just fuel. It's more than just energy. It has the capacity to influence virtually every single aspect of our biochemistry, and as such, it can actually form a very very valid approach to healthcare. It can be a very valid part of the therapeutic spectrum, really. You can actually start to use food as medicine or as a therapeutic modality in its own right. So that's where the name come, comes from, really. It's actually kind of getting people to think about food in a different way. And I'd love to hear a little bit about what nutrition means to you. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, really, it, for me, it, it is the fundamental of good long-term health, really. It's... They, you know, they say you can't outrun a bad diet. It's the thing that is going <laughs> to be one of your greatest long-term health insurances, probably above and beyond almost any other lifestyle intervention, whether, whether it's like, you know, risk of cardiovascular disease, of type 2 diabetes, obesity, inflammatory disorders, all of these kind of things that are plaguing our healthcare system can be dramatically altered by diet and lifestyle changes and nutrition is at the very very top of that pile it's at the top of the mountain so to speak and and so tell us how do you help people make sense of the subject what angle do you come from i mean when we say diet and nutrition you you don't mean diet as in fasting or do you? No, oh, no, no. I mean, I, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I never talk about calories or any of that, that ridiculous stuff. That's just, you know, there's enough of that kind of information out there. For me, it's all about how you sort of use it in, in disease management and stuff. Yeah, getting people to make sense of it. I mean, sometimes that can be tricky because obviously being in the information age now, people have got to the point where they've become so overwhelmed with the amount of discussion around nutrition that they're completely flummoxed by it. And a lot of people find themselves very, very confused. So what I do is really try and backtrack and get back to basics, teach people the basics of what good nutrition actually means, what a good diet actually looks like on the whole, get people back to that point so they've got that strong understanding of where to start and how to actually apply this stuff in the first place and then go from there, really. Right, and gi give us give us a concrete example. Um, I mean, because frequently on, on the parents' show we, we talk about... We hear from guests like yourself that the most important parents, the most important thing parents can do is to model good behavior. And in this case, I suppose we mean model good nutrition. What, what does that mean to you? I know it's a huge question. <laughs> you well, know. It doesn't, it really doesn't have to be that complicated either, which is, which is uh, a good thing. I mean, Obviously, you can make the subject horrifically complicated. It is, you know. I mean, I've been in, in the industry 25 years, and, and I still at this point, I, I feel I've got more questions than answers. But you can strip this all right back down to basics, and literally, all anyone needs to worry about is just building their diet around whole foods. It's, it's that simple. That basically means getting back to foods that are close to their original state and that haven't been overly processed. So if you think something like, building the diet around 
fruits, vegetables, good quality cuts of meats, whole grains. That's it. You know, I mean, obviously it doesn't, it doesn't sound as sexy and doesn't kind of have these amazing headlines that some of these big dietary breakthroughs do, but it really, that's as, that's as complicated as it, as, as it really needs to be. Build your diet around whole foods. Build your diet around foods that, you know, your great grandparents would recognize. And that, there's a great phrase, a great phrase that I like to use. And it's like, if it ran, swam, grew or flew, then eat it. Anything else, leave behind. And then there's another one, which is real food doesn't contain ingredients. Real food is ingredients. If you kind of approach it with that mindset of just stripping back to basics, you're covering most of your basics. I mean, of course, there's, you know, there's a million and one different nuances that we could look at and, and discuss, and there's genetic variations and all this kind of stuff. But that's, that, that really doesn't matter in the long term. The long term is just making those good habits and building your diet around that solid foundation and everything else falls into place. Dale, can I ask you a question that might be a bit controversial? Um, which, which is, in today's day and age, people are going to say, I, I, it's great, I love the idea, but I haven't got time to cook from whole foods all the time. And... Okay, let's just take that as, let's take that for, for being absolutely real, you know, not making excuses. People really don't have the time. If they had well, to make a choice, could you say, well, look, at least, I don't know, 50% of your diet should be cooked from whole foods? Or would you say, I mean. I would say there's, there's ways of getting organized and getting around it. I mean, obviously, uh, with, you know, the, the TV show that I'm on, Eat Shop Save, one of the big things that we actually find with a lot of the families there is that they're pushed for time. Yeah. Working different types of shifts. Sometimes they're, you know, they've got several jobs. They're running around after the kids. They're trying to do so much. But there's always, there's always at least one day of the week where they might have a couple of hours spare. And we sit down with them and just do like a complete analysis on the week, really break it down. And say, for example, you've got two hours spare on a Sunday afternoon. That time you can actually cook in batches. Batch cooking can save your skin. Basically, that means cooking, cooking your favorite foods, but in, amounts like four, five, six times more than you normally would and then freeze it in individual portions. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then you're stockpiling your freezer with all of this good quality, healthy home-cooked food and then, you know, Monday to Friday, Monday to Saturday, whatever, when you're flitting around like a lunatic, all you need to do, first thing in the morning, take your, you know, your preferred dish out of the freezer, leave it on the side. By the time you get back from work and doing what you've needed to do, it would have defrosted. You just warm it up, open a bag of salad or, you know, cook up some vegetables. Bob's your uncle, Fanny's your aunt. It's done. It's really, really simple. But it does obviously mean that you have to get organized and you have to, you have to do it and you've got to be motivated to do it in the first place. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's always, that's the one thing that we can't actually do for anyone. You can't, you can't give someone willpower or a desire to make a change. But if you have got that desire to change and getting healthy is a priority, then that's one of the ways around it. No, that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And as this is the parent show, and so we come from an angle particularly about children, um, if somebody, if, if a family hasn't been perhaps, um, cooking with, uh, whole foods and yeah. now they want to introduce that, which is quite a different taste for children, can yeah. you, any tips on how that might make that change, transition a bit easier for the kids? Because we all know kids can be difficult yes. about trying new foods. Absolutely. It, and especially if the diet, you know, changes quite significantly. There's two tactics that I, that I always encourage people to use in this situation. The first, is to give their favourites a facelift. So, if their favourite, I mean, say for example, your like the, their favourite dish is spaghetti bolognese. Mm -hmm. Awesome, great place to start from. Just swap out the the white spaghetti for wholemeal, and with the with the ragu, maybe bulk it out with a few red lentils or some very very finely chopped veggies, just to get a little bit more nutrient density in it. But essentially, the whole culinary experience is still pretty much the same. It still tastes the same. It's still got that familiarity around it. There's just a few tweaks here and there. That's one thing. But one area where there's been a lot of research, actually, is getting children in the kitchen and getting them involved in actually preparing food. Yeah. Because it's almost like an extension of their creative expression. You know, when they, they bring a picture home or something and they're super proud of it, they want it to be displayed they have that emotional connection with that creative outlet. Getting them in the kitchen and getting them involved in actually preparing the food, you know, 
sleeves rolled up, right, what are we going to do? What should we put in there? What should we do with this? Mm. Get them involved in the creative process. They've suddenly got an emotional investment in the actual, in the actual food itself and compliance goes up. You know, there's been quite a lot of research around that and it's quite fascinating because you're actually bringing them into that creative process. It changes the whole dynamic completely. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes a huge amount of sense. And I, I love what you said, Dale. I love, give their favourites a facelift. And, yes. and what a brilliant suggestion. Throw some red lentils in. Have you got any other tips off the top of your head that you can think of about how to, how to kind of sneak in a bit of extra nutrition? Oh, I'll tell you what, I've got some, I've got some crackers. I mean, there was this, uh, on, on the series one of Eat Shop Save, actually, we had a perfect example. There was a little girl who, who, um, she was a vegetable dodger. There's no getting around it. She just did not want to go anywhere near them, apart from like, you know, she, she would eat peas, which is normally like, you know, which is normally the antichrist for most children. But no, she liked them. But that was it. So we sat there and we had a thing and we were chatting to her and saying, well, what's your favourite thing? She was like, I really love a chicken curry. So I was like, well, there we wow. go. Bingo. Here is, here is the opportunity. What I did was I, I made what was really a, a thick sweet potato soup. So I cooked onions, garlic, uh, sweet potatoes, vegetable stock, pureed it down and then added the curry spices to that. So I added cumin, ground coriander, turmeric, those kinds of things. And it ended up like a korma sauce. Yeah. And then we cooked the chicken in that. That's and she genius. walked down this dish and at the end of it said, so you've just eaten sweet potato. <laughs> she was like, but I really enjoyed that. And then, it was in, and then we had the conversation with her. It's like, well, no one said you've got to sit there and eat it steamed or boiled. I mean, that's boring. Who wants to eat that? So that, that, that's, that's another way of doing it. A little bit of hoodwinking. And there's another, another dish that I, um, that I suggest to people called the hidden veg sauce, which is where you would cook, yeah, again, like onions, garlic, red peppers, courgettes, spinach, all of that kind of stuff, and then add passata, like uh, the the sieved tomatoes to it, and puree it up. Maybe a little bit of basil in there as well. And it looks, smells, and tastes like a normal tomato sauce. You're, you're You've got all those other veggies blended into it. You're so but much you don't even kinder. Have to have a conversation. You just serve the dish up and <laughs> done. But I, I mean, you're so kind about the thing. My my mantra with courgette is it's like a swear word in our house. But oh, I don't really? care when they come my veg box. They're going in something I cook. But I've I've kind of relented to um, <laughs> um, peeling them so at least they don't look as courgette as courgettes do but you know what you can do yeah. i mean especially for something like a spaghetti bolognese if you if, if you've got like a food processor and you've got yeah. the grater um setting on it put use the really really fine grater on there so it basically chips it goes into almost almost like very very small kibbles like um a a type idea. texture and throw that into the ragu and it just vanishes it disappears and then i won't have to look at the miserable faces when they're having exactly. their dinner you don't, even <laughs> yeah. to, you don't even have to tell them it's there that's it's a, like three days later it'd be like oh you know you know that bolognese <laughs> that's a that is a fantastic suggestion i'm definitely going to use that one um, can I now, before Lydia asks you another question, I'm going to sneak in another controversial question. I don't think the first one was controversial enough, so I'm going to really go in. Oh, we there. like controversy. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so um, your mantra about um, I can't quite remember flying and whatever. Ram, swam, grew, or flew. That's it. What about s- meat substitutes then? Um, so. Uh, uh, meat substitutes and vegan substitutes. I, I know there's one on the market now. I see it, but I'm, I mean, I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, but yeah. I do cook with them sometimes and they're very popular. Um, yeah, but they're not, they're though. not running or swimming, are they? So. No, I mean, if, if you read the ingredients of some of these things, it's like reading the contents of a chemistry set. It's terrible. Right. It's, you know, I mean, you, you might as well just, just chip off down to the takeaway and be done. <laughs> it's, it's really that bad. It, uh, there's a, you know, some of them are okay. Like a bit of tofu is all good, but you know, it tastes like a wet pencil rubber unless you actually make it exciting. Um, but wait, these heavily, heavily processed ones. Like, have you ever seen tofurkey before? <laughs> this is a real I've not thing. Heard I mean, of that. It's, it's more popular in the US. Than it, it sounds is like here. one of those little kind of Japanese animals that you get on like <laughs> computer games <laughs> it or something. Like a Pokemon. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does a little bit. Well. Tofurkey, it's like this hideously processed turkey originated from tofu kind of substitute, right. but it's got so many dodgy ingredients yeah. in it. And it's like, you know what, you're going to be healthy. I mean, obviously, if, 
if if people are eating those things from uh, an ethical standpoint, then there's no discussion to have, I guess. But if it's purely from the pursuit of better health, then they're definitely not going down the right road with that. But obviously, if, if you are if you are following a plant-based diet, that's what it should be. It should be built around the plants. So many be- such beautiful diversity of healthy ingredients from the plant kingdom. You don't need to go near any of that kind of stuff. Brilliant, great stuff. Um. Now, you've written 14 books on the subject of, yes. of nutrition, which is absolutely mind-blowing, Dale. Is there, is there one that you'd pinpoint parents to that's a little bit more family-oriented, or are they all? Um, the family-oriented one would be um, the, 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 the book for Eat Shop Save, the one that actually accompanied the TV show. Yeah. Um, because, obviously, that whole show is built around working with families. I mean, all of them will be appropriate. I mean, with all of all of I mean... Some, there's some that are specialists, like, you know, one on heart disease, one on diabetes. Those aside, the more generic ones, like healthy every day, how to cook healthily, the power of three, those kind of things, all of those will have family-friendly recipes in there. And week in, week out, I see on social media and stuff, I get tagged in posts where people are cooking with their kids from the books. So a lot of them are, are, are very, very family-friendly. But the one that's really, really focused around... Um, planning and really getting the whole family in shape will be the each of each each shop save book brilliant great yeah. well we'll put that on our our parents show facebook page and oh. uh, and flag it up to parents but um we we were you know doing a bit of research before we got you on the phone dale and there's lots of so- topics that you're you're keen on speaking about i'd love to know what you think about diet and sleep obviously i know you can't say everything there is to say about it but what, what what's your first reaction can really, really be helpful. I mean, particularly the mineral magnesium. Okay, so magnesium you could get either as a supplement about 30, 40 minutes before bed, or if you, in your evening meal, build it around lots of green vegetables. All of the green vegetables are very rich sources of magnesium. What magnesium does is it increases the expression of a neurotransmitter called GABA. And GABA is the primary inhibitory neurotransmitter, which basically means that it kind of slows everything down and calms everything down and, you know, it just helps you get into that more restful state. And then there's also an amino acid called tryptophan that you find in foods like turkey, tuna, bananas and peanut butter, but again, you could take as a supplement, um, which is the precursor to a neurotransmitter called serotonin. And serotonin, most people are aware of it as being Mm. like the kind of the happy neurotransmitter. But at night, when our brain detects darkness, serotonin converts over into something called melatonin, which is the thing that sets the clock, the thing that gets you to sleep, keeps you asleep. So if you combine those two things, a good source of magnesium and a good source of tryptophan, that can really, really help to enhance sleep because you're increasing GABA expression and you're also increasing the um, the levels of serotonin, which will convert into melatonin. Brilliant. So magnesium uh, or green veg in your in your dinner. So, yeah. what, what do you have a favourite green veg? Is there a, is there? I really like Cavalo Nero. So what? Cavalo Nero. They sometimes call it black kale as well. It's like <gasps> very very long sort of lanceolate leaves like a, a bubbly kind of texture. It's almost jet black because it's so dark green. And that sautéed with a little bit of garlic and maybe some white beans, like cannellini beans or something in with it. Awesome. Awesome. Not for my 10-year-old, but maybe <laughs> maybe the husband. <laughs> yeah, but for us, us more experimental types, it's all good. And so that's one of your top ones. And a bit more mainstream, what would you say? Is is broccoli just yeah. everything everybody needs? Yeah, it's great. As long as it's, as long as it's a good deep green vegetable, it's going to have the magnesium in there because magnesium is one of the primary components of chlorophyll, which gives the, the green vegetables their green color. So right. if they're green, plenty of magnesium in there. Just don't overcook them. Don't cook them to death because all the good stuff will uh, start to dwindle. And how do you feel about supplements? I mean, given that, I mean, if Big you... Fan. Oh, great. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I, um, so if you can't get your child to eat broccoli or yeah. or the other vegetable that I can't remember you named but <laughs> is chew, chewy vitamins on the way out the door how do you feel about that fine 
Yeah, absolutely fine. There's, there's two. There's two supplements I would actually recommend. The, the multivitamin is one, but the other one, which is absolutely vital, and I underline that in massive, thick marker, vital, 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 the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, okay. EPA and DHA. They are pivotal to neurological development. Omega-3 fatty acids. Yeah, but make sure that it's, it's, it's the long-chain ones because there's, the, omega-3 is more than one substance. It's a whole family of different fats. But the two that will actually benefit humans and that have this role in brain development are EPA and DHA, which are derived from fish. Yeah, that's what get, I was thinking, yes. Yes, because you, you can get sources of omega-3 from plants, but it's as good as useless, really, because the body can't convert it and do a great deal with it. But DHA particularly is vital for um, a growing brain, So, and especially during um, the time when children are at school and they're learning new things and they're forming those new um, neural pathways. DHA is vital in that, and then EPA is really, really important in um, sort of neurotransmitter function and you know, release and reception and general neurological function, as well as you know a million and one other health benefits uh, right across the board. So I would say those two highly yeah. important. Top, highly important. I mean, the multivitamin just hedges your bets. It doesn't doesn't prevent anything. It doesn't kind of have anything profound it just ensures that they're at least hitting the rda of those nutrients if nothing else it just takes that guesswork out and what 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 fish would give you the best level of omega-3 salmon well the, the, the best would be um mackerel but that's obviously a very very strong flavored fish and that doesn't always always go down very well but salmon seems to be the kind of most popular of those oily fish that that, that kids will will eat yeah it's not too strong but there again you can you can get good supplements as well that have just got a fruity flavor to them and you can even detect any fish in it as well and and is it is it so salmon does trout do anything yeah absolutely yeah right, trout's okay. got loads yeah okay uh, can i just say mackerel i have actually got my fish uh, my kids to eat mackerel wow. with a philadelphia cream cheese wow. actually goes very nicely together um, wow that's awesome that's yeah awesome. very you impressive. know what any way you can get it in them get it in them absolutely it's um it, it that stuff is so important for the development of their brains i really can't overemphasize it okay and now we are um getting uh, near to the end of the show i am just going to ask you one more question though which is yeah. an important one and i think a lot of people um uh, would like to think about this which is part of this healthy diet you obviously are going to be coming off processed foods and sugar but have you got any tips on how we can reduce sugar cravings sugar cravings often sugar sugar cravings sugar <laughs> cravings um come from fluctuating blood sugar levels so it's it's kind of chicken and egg a little bit as you start to reduce your intake of those simple sugars you're going to get less and less um blood sugar peaks and troughs because what happens is when you're consuming a lot of these sugary food blood sugar raises very very quickly and the body responds by secreting the hormone insulin which tells cells there's an excess of, of glucose available the cells open up little doorways and pull this sugar in blood sugar drops back down again mm. if that blood sugar rises aggressively which it will after a lot of simple sugary foods the insulin response will be aggressive so it will come crashing back down again and when the oh sorry put the phone on silent when the, the um, blood sugar comes crashing down again your body will automatically desire a very very quick sugar fix to get it back within some kind of equilibrium so you start to create this this, this physiological cycle of desiring more sugar because your blood sugar is so disorganized so by cutting those foods out to start with you're going to be kind of experiencing less of that but then also adding more protein to the diet more protein and good quality fats so building the diet around non-starchy vegetables some very very low glycemic carbohydrates and good quality proteins creates a meal that takes much longer to digest and because it takes much longer to digest it takes much longer period of time to actually liberate the glucose from it so your blood sugar is drip fed you're not getting that roller coaster and that will curb some of the cravings as well you bring those two things together like just making that commitment to ditch those foods more protein more of the real slow burning carbohydrates then your blood sugar management is going to be much 
you know, it's going to be much improved mm. and that will take the edge off it. Oh, well, that, I'm glad to hear it's not all willpower because I think, you know, I mean, you know, to, to, to stop that vicious cycle of the cravings and the chicken and egg, as you say, but actually maybe by just adding some more protein, like you say, and also knowing psychologically that that's going to help with the sugar cravings could make a big difference. It will, yeah, absolutely, because a, a great deal of that is physiological. Fantastic. Dale, listen, we have, we've absolutely squeezed as much advice as we can possibly out of you <laughs> in the second half of the show. Thank you so much for joining us on the Parents oh, Show. Pleasure, not a problem. And uh, we'll, ju- we'll jump back in and join you again, hopefully this time next year and see what tips you and what new books you have. Are there any in the, any in the pipeline? There's another two out this year. Yeah, there's, because um, we've just finished series three of eShop Save, which will be on telly in... The end of July, beginning of August. Fantastic. TV, and there's going to be another book to go with that series. And then there's a, a book called Fakeaways out towards the end of the year as well. So, and that is about giving your your favourite takeaway a facelift, cooking it at oh, home, a healthy version. Very good. I like that. Giving your favourites a facelift. I like it. <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> da- brilliant to talk to you. Thanks a lot, Dale. Thanks very much. Take care. So that was Dale, um, the medicinal chef, talking to us about nutrition. Uh, clearly his favourite subject. We're, we're coming towards the end of the show for this week. Um, we have a fantastic show lined up for you next week. Um, if you haven't heard about it, please try and get your hands on one of the... Um, one of the uh, booklets that are out at the moment. It's Sustainable St Albans, not week but three weeks coming up in May and we're really delighted that we have such a fantastic team of people in St Albans who care so much about the environment. It's unbelievable the number of events that are coming coming up and we'll be talking to a sample of them next week in the show and then towards the end of the month. What we'd like to do is we'd like to hear from you parents um, and your children about what your concerns are and what you're doing about it um, and what, what your school is doing. Any story you have related to helping our planet, uh, climate change, any concerns your children have and what they're doing about it. We'd love to have as many children as we can on the show. I think it's on the 26th of May, right at the last Thursday in the month. So uh, put that in your diary, have a think and please get in touch through our Parent Show Facebook page. That's probably the best way and tell us what you'd like to talk about and come on the show. Um, and there's a big event coming up too, Seema, isn't there? There is. Uh, and that is on the 16th of May and uh, this is a brilliant uh, event that is a charity fundraiser for two uh, fantastic charities in aid of homelessness and the Women's Refuge and it is Into the Groove and it's my favourite kind of disco because it is cheesy 80s hits, come on. Lydia, you, you can't, you can't not want to go. Exactly. I mean, what, what, what's not to love? Cheesy eighties hits, groovy music and all in aid of charity. It's fantastic. And, uh, we're, we really want to plug this because we really want people to, uh, go to this event, uh, which is going to be a uh, great fun. It is on Thursday, the 16th of May at the, uh, the barn at the horn, which yeah. is a really brilliant. Uh, location actually it's a lovely little venue it's out the back of the horn it's got a a, a nice little venue and um it's yep so into the groove thursday 16th of may we will we will allow you as listeners not to listen to the parent show that evening and go dancing instead (laughs) Uh, so at the barn at the horn it's only 10 pounds a ticket you can buy tickets through eventbrite we're going to put the link on our facebook page in just a few minutes so you can uh, follow through and back and if it's a charity you care about if you can't make it that night it's a tenner for a ticket it goes to excellent causes like the local women refuge and it'll be very very much appreciated so thanks for listening next week all about sustainable st albans and see you for in the groove on the 16th of may good evening